Well, we're going to turn now to, uh, to God's Word. As I said, we're continuing in our sermon series on Romans chapter 8, and we are up to verse um, 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17 this morning. Um, under this, uh, this, yeah, this, theme of, this theme of adoption and what it means to be adopted into God's family and be part of that. So hear God's word from Romans chapter 8. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the things that's impressed me the most about Park Lane Church is uh, the legacy of people and the number of families that have taken part in foster care and adoption. It's such a beautiful thing to see someone come from difficult circumstances, um, from, from trying family situations into a home where they can be nurtured and cared for and loved through the whole process. And the adoption became, uh, you know, very near and dear to my heart when my brother adopted a little girl from Zambia. She was three years old at the time. This was uh, about nine or ten years ago now. Uh, the, a girl that they... Uh, they gave the name Grace to. And Grace is a living testimony to the power of adoption. And I always think about her if I'm reading in the scriptures about adoption and about how God makes us part of his family. Because the Bible, the Bible gives us several pictures for what Christ has done for us uh, in rescuing us, in transforming us, in making us more like Jesus. And adoption is one of those pictures. In fact, I think it's one of the best pictures for what, for what God has done. It's a, it's a picture, it's an illustration, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to all that can hear to say, leave your life of isolation, of this orphan spirit, of being outside and being different and come into a family of people who love and embrace you and come to accept God as your father. God, the creator, the king of the world, the one who rules everything. He is your dad now. He is your father. You know, the Pharisees said this too, but it's so true. We have God as our father. It's true. We have God as our Father. Our Father is, is God. 
And so this morning I want to pursue this question. What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be adopted? You know, sometimes as we're getting to know people or they share their story or whatever, they say, yeah, I was adopted at this age, I was taken in at this time. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be adopted by God? Well, I did that cheesy pastor thing and I came up with an acrostic. It wasn't that hard, it didn't take too long. The acrostic is KID, K-I-D. And the K stands for KID, children. You know, the first thing that Paul says is that he makes us children of God. So K is for kid. I is for intimacy, that he makes us, you know, has this intimate relationship with our father. And that's demonstrated by that, when Paul uses that term, Abba, father. We'll talk about what that means. We'll unpack that a little bit. And then the D stands for descendant. Uh, you know, that we're, we're his children, that we're, that we're his heirs, that we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so everything that you would give to an heir, everything that you would give to your child is given to us. K-I-D, kid. Kid, intimacy, descendant. And I hope that, I know for me, and I think for a lot of us, we go through our lives and we're trying to remember whose we are. <laughs> You know, who we belong to. And we find ourselves living out of this orphan spirit, not totally trusting God our Father. I hope that this little acrostic and this message and the Word and the Spirit will remind us, remind us this week that we have a Father, that we're children of God. And there's wonderful songs we're going to sing about that and everything, but that I hope that it, that it reminds us and speaks to us. So first, K, kid, we're a son, we're a daughter of God. What does that mean? Well, verse 14 says that those, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That it's the Spirit, it's this Holy Spirit that makes us a child of God. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians... Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Spirit that opens our eyes. We don't discover it on our own. It's God and His grace that works in us. And so it's the, it's the Spirit that makes us, you know, see our sin and makes us see that we, that we need saving, that it's God's grace that we need. And you know, it's been written that only those who taste hell will see heaven. That we see, that, that we deserve death. And yet God has given us heaven. And Paul says that we are all a slave to something. Verses 12 to 13 talks about how if we live according to that sinful nature we will die. It's pretty, it's pretty direct. It's pretty bleak. What he's saying is, the sinful nature is all about Pete. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, what I desire, what I think that I deserve. It's completely self-centered. And if we live according to that, there's, no, there's nothing there. There's no life. There's death. But if we live according to the Holy Spirit, we're about God's glory and about other people. We just live to serve. Uh, like our Savior Jesus who said, 
Um, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to serve others. And Jesus washed feet and told us to do likewise. This, when we're a slave to ourselves, we have this attitude of, you know, do it yourself. I can do it. I can prove it. I can work my way up to God. Uh, thanks, God. I, I got this covered. And when we're a servant of Christ, we serve others. And that's the, the, the word that Paul uses here is sonship. And that doesn't mean that women are excluded. It doesn't mean that women are less than men. It's a demonstration of this, this term, this idea that, unfortunately, at the time that this was written, you had to be a firstborn male to receive an inheritance. And so that's what it's conjuring up for the people, is that, that, that sonship, this idea. But you could also say daughtership. You could also say child of God. Those are good translations as well. Sonship, sonship means that you are a servant of Christ and that you're not a slave to, to anything else. Because we, we, will, we will serve other things. You know, we, we, our hearts are always creating these things, to creating these idols or creating these things that distract us or numb us from the pain of life. Uh, David Foster Wallace was, was a writer. Uh, he passed away maybe 20 years ago, but he understood this idea that we will serve other things, that to be human is to worship. And in a graduation speech uh, at a college in Ohio, he, he said this. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you'll never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. That's what these other things do to us. They don't give us what our hearts really crave. Human beings either worship their creator or worship something less, something that's created, something that will never satisfy our hearts. And many, many of us worship the things that Wallace points out, and yet they always leave us hungry, hungry for real meaning and purpose. Another prophet of our time, Mr. Bob Dylan, he said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Then the background singers gave us that one. Woo, watch out. 
We're going to have to serve somebody. We always serve someone. We're, all, we're either a servant of Christ or we're a slave to these other things. We're either a slave to these other things or we're a child of God, and we live out of that identity. And I don't think, you know, if, if I think about my niece's life or I think about other people that I know and love that are, that are adopted, I don't think you really flip a switch. And you just say, oh, I'm, I'm adopted. I'm part of this family now. It's kind of the same thing as marriage. It takes a while to get used to. We're a couple now. We're integrated. But it's something, living out of your identity as a child of God, it's something that we wrestle with. Probably our whole lives. Just to say, you know what? I'm not going to live as an orphan. I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm not going to look to anything else for my security and for my relationship. I'm going to look to God. And as we're wrestling, the Holy Spirit is speaking, is whispering in our ear. What does verse 16 say? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Spirit's reminding us. The Spirit's reminding us. When we don't feel like a child of God, when we feel like we've messed up too many times, when we feel broken and discouraged, the Holy Spirit reminds us, you are a child of God. You're part of my family. And it doesn't just say that the Spirit says these things. The Spirit testifies. So it's like in court. It's the same word that's used in court. And what do you do when you're in court? I've never had to testify. It seems really scary. I watched a mini-series this week that was all about these court cases, and it's Really, it's just crazy. I hereby swear that that I will say the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. People put their right hand on a Bible, and that's called a testimony. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit doesn't lie. It's testifying. You are a child of God. Erica, you are a child of God. Gordon, you're a child of God. Tony, you're a child of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does in speaking to us. And I, I love the, uh, the, the reminders that God gives us. One of those for me is our little Park Lane Christian preschool. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning, you get these preschoolers that come in and... You know, who doesn't love preschoolers? They're delightful. They're loud. They're energetic. Uh, They're incredible little creatures (laughs) of God's making. And what if we saw this verse as, for those who are led by Christ are the preschoolers of God? I think that's how God sees us, right? As the preschoolers of God, as the children of God, those that belong to him. God loves us as his child. He sings over us. He delights in us like we delight in our children. And that's the first thing that it means. It means to be adopted by God, to be his kid. K, kid. Second, being adopted means intimacy. It means you have an intimate relationship with God. I would define intimacy as a close-knit relationship that drives everything else in your life. 
It's this idea that we can have a close relationship with God that is really the ground of everything we do, the foundation of what we do, this loving, close relationship with God. We can talk to him throughout the day. We can find out more about him in his word and what his spirit tells us. And this, this incredible, huge idea in Romans 8 all comes down to one word in verse 15. Abba. By him we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is such a key word in the New Testament. It's used by Jesus. It's used by Paul. And Abba is this informal, familial word for your dad. You know, it can be translated as Papa or Daddy. It's, you know, something that you would call your, your dad or your grandpa or... It just, it doesn't get any, you know, more informal, more close-knit than, uh, than that. And Jesus used this word in Mark 14 when he was praying. That was the God that he knew. And imagine, imagine what it would have been like for the disciples to hear him say that. Imagine what it would have been like for this church in Rome, this casual word, this daddy kind of word, to be spoken of toward God. Imagine if your whole life you had been taught about a God and modeled that God is distant, that he's far away, that he's angry, that the only way to relate to him is through hard work through memorizing the first five books of the Bible, through earning your relationship with God. And then Jesus, your rabbi, your teacher, comes to him and says, Abba, Daddy, Papa. That's how you can relate to him. Brennan Manning, who was a Catholic priest, but he was such a bad Catholic priest because his alcoholism was so crippling that they kicked him out and then he just kept telling people about Jesus and kept writing books about Abba and really changed the world. Um, he wrote a book called Abba's Child, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. And in this book he says, he says this, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Every other identity is an illusion. I, I highly recommend this book for learning more about, about Abba, about our Father. Every other, so every other identity, that identity of, you know, a loner, that identity of someone who's lost or someone who doesn't belong um, or someone who's just not sure whether they're in or out, all of that is an illusion. And the number one thing that can be said about us is beloved. Beloved of God. That is the true self. Everything else is an illusion. Everything else is passing away. Everything else will disappear. Sadly, a lot of, um, a lot of us have trouble believing this, when we're honest. 
Most of us don't have a close-knit, intimate relationship with our human father, so it's hard to, uh, to connect that to God. Um, it's really hard for me to live out of this identity, to remember that God is my father, to know that I don't have to, you know, uh, look to anything else. And I would, you know, I have a great relationship with my father. He's one of my best friends. Um, don't you think that the devil loves the breakdown of the family? The, um, our sworn enemy, the one who's against us, he loves it when fathers abandon their kids. Or you know, walk away, because it makes it that much harder to see God as a loving Father. When we, do, when we have this, this breakdown. When I, was, when I was in my early 20s, I had this wonderful mentor who was a chaplain at my college. And right before my senior year of college, he took all of us that were part of the worship team, there was maybe 10 or 12 of us, he took us to his dad's cottage on Lake Michigan. And we're all kind of entering this door, just, uh, you know, entering the cottage, and his dad greeted him with a hug and a kiss on the lips. And I remember being very weirded out by this. As a 21-year-old full of testosterone and probably, you know, a fair amount of latent homophobia, and yet now I look back and I say, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing for a father and a son to have that connection, to have that relationship, to have that intimacy. And you know what? Most of the world, men kiss other men on the cheek. That's a standard greeting in the Middle East, in Europe, and so many other places. Now, I don't recommend that you start doing it during COVID, but... Isn't it wonderful to have that relationship with a parent? Um, just that, that intimacy. I think the picture, the picture that I get, thinking about that, that holy kiss, or thinking about this close relationship with our Father, is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. I think all of us here, all of us watching at home, you know, we, we know about God. We're good, church-going people, and we know about God. But do we know Him? Do we really know Him? Where do we get to know Him? <laughs> you know, through His Word and through His Spirit. Do we know His character and His heart? and the way that he relates to broken people. When you read this book, it actually makes you feel so much better because you realize, these people are as bad as me. And God's still their father, and he still loves them. Do we know God and his character and his fatherly love uh, towards us? There are ways, there are ways to do it. The, the most fruitful seasons of my life, there's been a band of brothers that came alongside me that I could be really honest with. And they could say, you know, Pete, you might be struggling right now. You might be doubting. 
but you're still a member of God's family. You're still a child of God, and he's never going to let you go. So live into that. Don't think these orphan thoughts anymore. Know that he's got you, that he's never going to let you go, that you belong to him. That is what it means to have that intimate relationship, to be adopted by God. So first of all, you're his kid, you're his child. Second of all, you have that intimate Abba relationship with God. And third, K-I-D, you're his descendant. You're his heir. You're going to receive the things that he passes along to you. And we find this in verse 17. Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's sort of good news and bad news here, right? Paul is, is brutally honest. This is God's word. First of all, it says you'll receive everything. You know, you'll receive everything. You're an heir. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Everything that Jesus gets, you get. So we have this, this kingdom where joy will never end. And all the struggles of this life, all the, um, all the difficult things, all the years like 2020, we won't even remember them. They'll be just a blink of an eye. But we'll live in God's kingdom, and his, his presence will be the light. When, I think part of what it means to be, uh, you know, a middle-class American male is that your parents give you a couple of talks, and they can be referred to as the talk. You know, you get the talk when you're a teenager, and I think you guys know what that one is. And then, according to my experience, when you turn 40, you also get the talk. And that talk is, I'm going to die, and this is what I want to happen to me when I die. And if you're a parent and you're older and you haven't had that talk with your kids, I would recommend it because it gives them a lot of peace. And yet, there's a difference between the talk that our earthly parents give us and what Paul's talking about right now. Because our earthly parents, it's, it's a lot of, you know, like, well, if I live a really long time, you might have to help me out. But with God, it's I'm giving you everything. You're my heir. You, you're going to receive everything that I'm passing along to you. And it's not, you know, it's not if. It's not an uncertain situation. It's not dependent on how long somebody lives or how much money they've saved up or any of these sorts of things. It's a sure promise that God says, I am bringing about this kingdom. I am ushering in the new Jerusalem. I am going to restore all things and you're going to be part of that. You're going to be one of my kings, or one of my queens, or one of my priests. And you're going to take part of that. And in, in difficult seasons like many of us are experiencing right now, like the song said, it's good that we remember these things. It's good that we know that God is coming to dwell with his people. And that we are going to receive everything that he has for us. 
And yet, there are sufferings in the meantime, right? Paul says that. We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is not the prosperity gospel where everything we ask for we get in this life. This is the true gospel where we are moved by the Holy Spirit to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And that means suffering for many of us. That means unfulfilled longings. That means uh, experiences that we don't understand and don't know. Yet the bottom line is we are co-heirs with Jesus of eternal life. We are heirs. We can't even wrap our minds around that, that. That what Jesus gets, we get. That's crazy. He's Jesus and we're us. And yet God is going to graciously give us all things. We're going to share in his glory. And yet we also share in his sufferings here. Jesus called out to his Abba Father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. So Jesus knows what suffering is, and he knows that you can call out to your Abba in the worst times, and he hears you, and he's there for you. And so when he goes to the cross, and when he goes and when he takes our place, he's doing that so that he can make us part of his family. Part of his family. And no one can snatch us out of his hand. We belong to him like my children belong to me. Nothing's ever going to change that. Natural born, adopted, whatever it is. We're part of his family. And I'm sure that there's many times in the life of an adopted person where they have to say, you know what? This is my family now. I'm going to live into this. And so, for all of us, all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, may we have the grace and the strength. May the Holy Spirit give us that so that we can say this week, this is my new family. This is who I am. The grace to lean into that, to live into it that you are a child of God and I will treat you that way, that I am a child of God, that together we are the family of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit who keeps reminding us that we're not orphans, that we belong to you in body and soul, in life and in death, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, when we are tempted this week to go back to our old patterns, to try to earn our way to you, um, to try to even sin our way out of the family, you will just not let us go. We belong to you. May the Spirit remind us of that. May we live out of that reality. Everything else is an illusion. We are the beloved of God. Thank you for dying for your beloved, Jesus, and making us part of your family. 
Thank you for the hope that you're giving us for the future and for today. That we belong to you and we belong to your bride, the church. May that strengthen us, may that encourage us, may that challenge us, us today, this week, and always. We ask it all in Christ's name, our brother, our co-heir. Amen.